This is Genesis chapter 48 and 49. You're listening to the preview. So in these chapters, we have the end of Jacob's life. He's been a huge part of the story for quite some time, since way back many chapters ago in the book of Genesis, and now his story is coming to an end. And we know that his life has seen many ups and downs, and he has had a resurrection of sorts in his family in that he received back from the dead, so he thought, his son Joseph, who was his firstborn son from his true wife, Rachel, but not his first overall. Uh, the, the interesting thing is when someone dies in this time, this culture, the inheritance, uh, a special portion, a double portion of the inheritance goes to the firstborn son. For Jacob, this would have been Reuben, technically would have been his firstborn son, but he didn't want to give it to Reuben. Instead, he gave it to Joseph. And so in this chapter, as Jacob is kind of rounding out the final uh, moments of his life, you see what he's going to do with that birthright. Well, what's interesting is typically the birthright, which is the double portion of the blessing, the inheritance that goes to the firstborn, it goes to the firstborn son typically. But as we have probably all noticed in our lives, God loves to work in unexpected ways. And so really the birthright has not been going to the firstborn for quite some time in uh, the, the people of Israel for four generations, actually. Uh, Isaac was chosen over Ishmael, and Jacob was chosen over Esau. And now Joseph would be chosen over uh, Reuben. And so those, uh, in, in those uh, generations, um, you have a, a kind of um, a, a kind of interesting, uh, different kind of sway from what typically happens. So then even when Joseph's sons are given the blessing, uh, so Isaac over Ishmael, Jacob over Esau, and Joseph over Reuben, and then Ephraim, the younger son of Joseph, over his older brother Manasseh. Ephraim over Manasseh. So those four generations kind of mess with that pattern. And Jacob had learned through his life that God acts in unexpected ways, and that's no different here. What's interesting also is that Joseph is receiving, uh, or uh, Jacob is really giving the birthright to the younger instead of the older. When, when he received his birthright from his father Isaac, he did it by deception and, and thievery. He kind of stole the birthright. And so now he's, he's doing it. It's kind of like a little redemption in some ways. He's, he's doing it the right way, uh, giving it on purpose to the younger over the older. So that's an interesting thing to note as well. Uh, there is also an interesting thing to note. Whenever he is giving this blessing, he, use, he refers to God in three different unique ways before he asks God to bless these boys, Joseph's sons. He calls him the God before whom my fathers and Abraham, Abraham and Isaac walked, meaning the God of the covenant of my forefathers, God who's been my shepherd all life long, and God who is the angel who has redeemed me from all evil. And so he looks back over God's faithfulness in the past and uses that as a foundation to request him to bless these boys in the future. And this, I think, is really what we should do in 
our prayers to God. We look back on what God has done for us and all that he has been for us and who he is. And we use that as the foundation upon which to enter into the future or request him to act in the future or in the present even. And this is what Jacob does here. I think out of this whole section, my favorite verse is Genesis 48, 15, where he calls God, God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day. You know, this is the God who made a covenant with Jacob's granddad, Abraham. And then Jacob's dad was the first ever uh, son of the promise, Isaac. And before he was born, God chose Jacob to carry the lineage through. God blessed Jacob in his years running from Esau, and he eventually brought them to reconciliation. God blessed Jacob in his years working for Laban, giving him the, all of his wives and uh, who would bring him as many sons in the end. And God gave Jacob many sons. God protected Joseph, Jacob's son. God spared Jacob's family from famine through, Israel, uh, through Egypt. God reunited Jacob with his long-lost son, a, a resurrection of sorts. God had brought Jacob through all of this time to his very last breath in peace. And I think uh, this reminds me of that song, the main uh, kind of phrase goes, all my life you have been faithful. And that is what Jacob is really doing at the end of his life. And I'm hoping that for us, we will look back on how God has been faithful. And when it comes to, you know, many of us, especially at this age in our lives, we're looking forward to what's next and where God is going to take us. And that can be filled with anxiety or, or worry uh, or, or stress of some sort. But what I want to encourage us with is that if God has been faithful to provide and to direct us and to guide us, into his plan and will for our lives, if he's been faithful to do those things thus far, then it seems to me a pretty logical conclusion that he's going to continue to be faithful to us in the future. So he gives Joseph and his sons this blessing, and then he blesses the rest. He kind of blesses everybody, and he blesses all of the other, uh, the other sons as well. Uh, who we don't hear a ton from uh, most of the time in the book of Genesis because Joseph gets the most uh, screen time. But he, uh, when he gives these blessings, these are really prophecies. Prophecies about the, the, the destinies and the deeds of his people uh, according to their inherited moral and spiritual values. And so Genesis 49 uh, kind of lays out the plan for what they're going to be in the future. Uh, it's it's blessings and curses and judgments and prophecies and promises. And and Jacob is is actually acting as a prophet here as God's spokesman, spokesman. And he's talking about Israel settling back into the land. So you see what's interesting is they're in Egypt at the moment and Joseph is uh, Jacob is making a prophecy about what will happen in the promised land in the future. So there's inevitably from these prophecies, there is a hope that Israel, that the people of Israel have, that one day they will return back to the promised land and it will be bountiful and plentiful and they will be prosperous and at peace. And this is meant not only to give them a plan, but to sustain them through their slavery for the, these hundreds and hundreds of years that they're in bondage in Egypt. There is a hope, and God gave it through Jacob in these blessings as a prophecy that one day Israel, the people of Israel, would return back to the promised land 
and they would have all that God had promised them in Genesis 49. And so God gave the people this prophecy to, to really see them through the long years of bondage outside the promised land and to show them that he had a future plan for them. So he, he gives a, he talks about Reuben, and at first he kind of praises him for his strength and then also uh, kind of uh, dogs him for his internal weaknesses that would, would prove that he would not be a good, he could not be and would not be a good leader and would not be entitled to the leadership of of the, the Jacob's family. And this is probably one of the reasons that he gave the, the double portion, not to Reuben, but to Joseph and really to Joseph's sons. Ephraim became such a huge and powerful, probably the most powerful tribe of the 12, to the point that Israel sometimes was called Ephraim. Like they were called by the tribe of Ephraim's name, represented the whole nation because they were that powerful. Uh, Simeon and Levi had proven to be men of anarchy and violence. If you remember back, well, we didn't read this, but you've probably read it before. They uh, went and slaughtered a bunch of people. In uh, Genesis 34, Simeon and Levi just killed a whole bunch of people. And uh, uh, just out of revenge, uh, and God judges them for this. Uh, Judah, what's interesting in the command or the prophecy of blessing to Judah is that there is a prophecy that anticipates the coming king, uh, the reign of the Messiah, when all nations will obey him. And so in Judah, it basically says there's going to be a long line of kings who would uh, retain the scepter, the king's scepter from Judah, but the last one would be the one to whom the scepter actually belonged. And so this looks forward to the Messiah when he would actually come. Uh, Zebulun is supposed to be a seafaring people, and this likely came this came true. Issachar was forced to uh, work for the others, it says. And um, uh, they were constantly um, dealing with, with this was a place that kind of dealt with like trade routes and stuff. Uh, Dan, uh, Dan, his name means justice. Dan means judge. God is my Daniel, uh, the the prophet Daniel, uh, as we know from the book of Daniel. His name comes from this same name, um, and he was supposed to be a judge. But the the judgment against Dan was that his tribe eventually chose to be kind of treacherous, um, and really led the people into idolatry in the book of Judges, uh, chapter eighteen. Uh, Gad was another one of the sons, um, and Gad was always dealing with uh, attacks. Uh, the prophecy to Gad in, in verse 19 focuses on them attacking and being attacked. And Gad was attacked by a raid of attackers all the time, and border raids were something that were often experienced by those tribes, uh, the tribes like Gad. Asher was supposed to be a fertile and productive uh, uh, kind of agricultural tribe, and that actually did happen. Uh, Naphtali would be a, uh, a a mountainous people, and uh, th- they were they were very good in battle. Uh, the judge named Deborah actually sings a song specifically about how the tribe of Naphtali had risked their lives in a in a particularly uh, powerful battle. Um, and then Joseph gets he is gets a more lavish treatment than anybody, and he received the greatest blessing. And Jacob took up uh, the promise of fruitfulness from 
the name of Joseph's son, Ephraim. Ephraim means fruitful. And so he makes these promises about how they would be victorious and prosperous, Ephraim and Manasseh, these two tribes. Victory in battle was experienced. So, so the Ephraimites, uh, very well-known Ephraimites, were such people as Joshua, uh, Deborah, Samuel, um, and also Gideon and Jephthah were from Manasseh. So the two sons of Joseph are extremely prosperous and are some of the most notable figures in all of the history of Israel. And um, the last oracle is about Benjamin, and it describes him as a violent, uh, uh, violent in spirit kind of person, ravenous, devouring wolf. And this is actually, this comes very true. The most notable member of the Benjamin, Benjaminite uh, clan is uh, the King Saul. And King Saul was a good king for all of like five minutes, and then he turned uh, against God and against God's anointed one, David. And also the Benjaminites in Judges 20, uh, they are really wicked. I encourage you to go, uh, just if you want to know how bad the Benjaminites were, Judges 20 tells you uh, a crazy story of how just how bad they were to the point that the other 11 tribes fought them and almost wiped them out completely uh, because they were so bad. And so these prophecies uh, really represented a plan for these tribes. And these plans, the, this prophecy actually did pan out in real life in history. Uh, exactly what Jacob said is what happened and who they were and how those tribes could be characterized. And so be uh, be noticing those kind of things that, that come up about these tribes. And then you'll notice as you read on through the Old Testament how some of these things come to fruition. So I... I encourage you to uh, just uh, get through this uh, this this chapter. I know it's a it's a prophecy and it's got names of a lot of people that you may not spend very much time thinking of. Nobody thinks about Zebulun, whoever thinks about him, but there is a reference to him. So just uh, get through this, and um, uh, I'm excited to to continue on with this study. And we will see you next time.